Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Christmas and welcome to Paradise Island. This is Under Consultation, a huge episode by episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, and I'm cool. This is great. Life is fantastic. It can only be Christmas. And I'm afraid to say, Luke, I haven't made any movies, but I am Ash Versus. This episode aired on the 17th of December 1997, and while Tomb Raider 2 is still top of the game chart, the Teletubbies are top of the pops, and we have a new number one at the UK box office when tomorrow never dies. Action stations. Aye, aye, sir. Sound the general alarm. The Chinese pilot insists we're inside their territorial waters and he will fire. An act of violence. Torpedo, torpedo, torpedo. It was an unprovoked attack on a ship in international waters. The promise of war. And instead of decisive action, all you want to do is investigate. My goal is to prevent World War III, Admiral. Now, the world has only one chance for peace. When will our ships be in position? 48 hours. And just one man for the job. Bond. <laughs> James Bond. How much do you know about Elliot Carver, WC? Worldwide media ban. Most newspapers, radio, satellite TV. There's no news. Like bad news. I understand you once had a relationship with Carver's wife. Was it something I said? How about the words, I'll be right back? I'm from the new China news agency. Looking for a new story? Could have taken care of him. Let the mayhem begin. Your new BMW. Will you need collision coverage? Yes. Property destruction? Definitely. 
personal injury. Accidents do happen. No, I'm 007. I get to work with a decadent agent of a corrupt Western power. I think you found the right decadent, corrupt Western agent as a partner. Phase two is underway. This holiday season. What the hell is he doing? His job, the world belongs to Bond. When you remove Mr. Bond's heart, there should just be enough time for him to watch it stop beating. I would have thought watching your TV shows was torture enough. Wow, this is a hell of a duology for us to discuss on this, the last episode of Games Master before Christmas 1997. Do you want to talk about Ying and Yang or Ying and Wang? It's such a uh, head fuck. But at the top of the box office, you've got a film that is arguably the second best Pierce Brosnan film, I would say, in my personal opinion, tied joint with Goldeneye because I think it just delivered because Goldeneye kind of had to try and restore the balance after the Dalton era, whereas Tomorrow Never Dies could just go, you like the last film? Cool. Let's get on with it. Yeah. So you've got Tomorrow Never Dies and then you've got Teletubbies. Say at oh arguably one of the top five worst Christmas singles of all time. But we can get to that salty unpleasantness in a bit because Tomorrow Never Dies, where does it sit on your kind of like bondometer? I think Tomorrow Never Dies kind of gets swallowed up a little bit by Goldeneye. I think you're right in terms of it is, you know, second best, possibly equal with Goldeneye in terms of the Brosnan era. I think those are the better two, the best of the lot. But in terms of like overall i feel like it is almost the forgotten brosnan movie because it is neither better than goldeneye nor is it so bad it's die another day so it just sort of almost feels like the, the sort of lost bronham bond movie yeah because everyone remembers goldeneye they either love the movie or they love the nintendo 64 game the game hugely helps goldeneye in the in the lasting memories that massively helps then we get die another day which is just bad probably one of the worst bond films of all time and that is a really really kind of like low bar when you look at some of the later roger moore stuff but then you've got tomorrow never dies and the world is not enough now the world is not enough is very much a a drop in in quality even just the whole christmas jones joke which you see the punchline coming for in the opening credits yeah. like literally you know that is going to be the joke of the movie but tomorrow never dies it's got some great casting i mean jonathan price is a superb bond villain and as bond villains go elliot carver as essentially Rupert Murdoch, but with even less ethics, is an amazingly evergreen antagonist because you can't look at him and go, well, that would never happen in the real world because, spoilers, it did, it does, it has, it will continue to. And you've also got, like, you know, Terry Hatcher in there as well, who was very much a girl of the moment, a, a woman of the moment, always on, like, FHM, sexiest women of all time, that kind of thing. But... I kind of think interestingly now within the cast, it was, you know, great casting at the time because it is coming off the back of a lot of popular movies it was doing, but Michelle Yeoh, who is huge now, 
Like, she has had this incredible, like, massive resurgence off the back of everything, everywhere, all at once. But here is almost cast as, I don't want to use the word token Asian to do waifu stuff, but yeah. What I loved about the positioning of Waylin of Michelle's character in Tomorrow Never Dies, is that you've got Terry Hatcher, who is very much presented as the stereotypical Bond girl. She dies quite horrifically slash tragically, uh, probably for the best, because with no offence to Terry Hatcher, her acting is terrible in this movie. But then you've got Michelle Yeoh, who is not a Bond girl. She's a Bond parallel. There are a couple of times the character falls into the Bond girl tropes, but she is as capable, if not occasionally more capable, of kicking ass. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's some wire food, but also there's just some great action, some great stunt work, and some great character moments. Well, like we are in the era where wire food is about to become like the big thing in western hollywood movies obviously the matrix is going to be a huge part of that in a couple of years time but you know speaking of michelle yo crouching tiger hidden dragon in 2000 is like an explosive movie so this is almost like ahead of its time in that sense although speaking of time it's a very quick turnaround on this movie when you compare to how long we've had to wait between Bond films previously, do you know when this film was greenlit? It was like really close to GoldenEye, right? Well, technically, it was before GoldenEye. It was greenlit in response to the teaser trailer to GoldenEye. So, like, May 1995 or thereabouts, Bond 18 was greenlit. And so they were already fast-tracking it and working out what the movie was going to be. There was a bunch of different ideas being thrown around, at least two scripts being actively developed. But MGM were really, really pushing for them to move ahead on the second film in the Brosnan era because they wanted it to be released and be successful ahead of MGM's public stock offering. They basically wanted to go, we're going public, we're going on the stock market, buy our stock look a bond film that's doing really really well and you'd think as well like you'd want to get bronholm bond movies out quickly because bronholm was supposed to be bond a while back and what you don't want to do is get yourself into a roger moore position of a nice aging bond you want to try and get as many of these bronholm movies out while bond is still looking like bond i think they just about managed it i mean rosnan has aged remarkably well silver fox that he is now but there's always the danger that he's gonna go more or he's gonna go connery you don't know you don't know how people are gonna age it's just one of those things the teletubbies are are christmas number one here well they're not christmas number one they're currently number one for the christmas episode of games master they were just and they were part of the very big christmas race though they did not get the top spot they were, in fact, a Christmas number two, apropos. Number one to the air, but what about this week? Well, the very last Top of Pops chart of the year was a very close run thing. No more suspense. Here's a rundown. At 20, steps and 5, 6, 7, 8. 19, it's 5 with Slam Dunk Defunk. At 18, Reds United sing up for the champions. At 17, ain't that just the way, Latricia McNeil. And at number 16, The Reason by Celine Dion. 15's a new entry, Chicken Shed Theatre Company, I'm in love with the world. At 14, brand new, No Way, No Way by Vanilla. 13's a non-mover for Barbara Streisand and Celine Dion, tell him. At 12, it's Wind Beneath My Wings by Stephen Horton. And at number 11, Elton John's Double A Side. The Christmas Top 10 starts with a new entry for Mace, Feels So Good. At 9, it's Boyzone, Baby Can I Hold You Tonight. 
8, Anon Mover, Natalie Imbruglia with Torn. At 7, Robbie Williams and Angels. Number 6, Aqua, Barbie Girl. Climbing to 5, Together Again, Janet Jackson. Steady at 4, It's All Saints and Never Ever. At number 3, Various Artists and Perfect Day. And down to number 2, The Teletubbies. That was the charts. That was Top of the Pops for this week. And for this year, we'll be back in January every Friday at 7.30. But what's Christmas number one? It's the Spice Girls. Because <laughs> the Spice Girls too much is the official Christmas number one that we get. And bizarrely, this song was also a mashup slash cover. Because <laughs> yeah. it contains two nursery rhymes. Bar Bar Black Sheep and Mary Mary Quite Contrary. Just to show the pure lack of originality or talent involved in this song but in fairness for the target market like that's cute in a way you know just put some nice nursery rhymes in there and stuff because like this is not for adults this is for preschoolers this is for kids that are going to nursery this is like you know this this is a cd for kids that are my daughter's age so very very young children having uh nursery rhymes in there i'm like corner one of my favorite bands in the world and one of their biggest songs they had of their first album was all based around nursery rhymes so i'm not going to slam anyone for using nursery rhymes in a song now we've referred to i think it's the vh1 countdown of like the worst christmas number ones of all time we've we've talked about them before this is kind of in the top three along with the millennium prayer and mr blobby which if forced to would you choose to listen to on repeat for a day even without this question i was going to raise this point this is worse than mr blobby mr blobby is far and away a better song than this is and i would easily take blobby over uh, over the other two wow you would rather listen to mr blobby than cliff richard i mean yes yeah 100 yeah, yeah. no you know what i can't actually argue that i probably would as well but this song was as a games master parlance huge uh, was this song 1.3 million copies sold this song was massive and i reckon a good proportion of them were bought for young children and the rest were bought by stone students but before we get into the show itself what have we got going on in the magazine well good news because it's just before christmas luke and dixon's have got some killer satin bundles lined up people forget that traders need access to dixon's for 169 pounds and 90 pence that's 169 and 90 pence not 170 you will get manx tt sega rally and eight other games whoa holy heckins so you're getting 10 games and a Saturn for 170. I mean, crikey, they've got to try and find 10 good Saturn games, but even so. There are 10 good Saturn games. There are, there are definitely 10 good Saturn games. Whether they're included in that bundle is another issue. That's not all, though, because for £199.90, not 200 199 £190, not a penny more, you will get Wipeout, Fighting Vipers and... 10 other games a 12 game bundle for 200 quid that is the one to go for like even if it's just for fighting vipers that's the one to go for wipeouts are, you know, it's a half decent conversion so that'd be the one i'd get the standalone console is 99 pounds there's a four game bundle for 129 pounds and 95 pence that extra 5p always about that extra 5p 
Man alive. Even though, yes, I know the Saturn is on its way out, Jural or Black Belt or Katada or, you know, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride or whatever Sega are calling the next console is on the way. But 200 quid for a console and 12 games. And there are going to be some good ones in there. Wipeout and Fighting Vipers, they're great already. I mean, the PlayStation version of Wipeout is better, but the Saturn version is still good. I'm sure you might get a Virtua Fighter in there, maybe a Daytona, a Sega Rally, maybe a Street Fighter. You may even get uh, Sega Worldwide Soccer 97 in there. You probably won't have 98, but you still have a, a decent football game. There's not a huge difference between 97 and 98. And because it's made up players, there's not even any big roster changes. Do you know, at the time, if I'd got that for Christmas and I'd been hoping for a PlayStation, I'd have probably been a bit disappointed. Whereas now, I'm like, Saturn and 12 games? 200 quid? I couldn't get that now. No, absolutely not. That is a really, really good deal. So, top work, Dixons. Dixons! <laughs> May you continue to survive until you became part of Curry's, which merges with PC World, and then the Dixons brand dies, apart from airports, where I think actually it has died now. But moving on. Good evening, viewers, and welcome to the Games Master Christmas Special. Hit it, guys! Yes, Christmas brings many things to mind. The sight of snow falling on a forest. The sight of children and the joy in their eyes as they're opening their presents. And the sight of two girls dancing in fake animal skin costumes in front of a three-piece steel calypso band. Ash, it is our sixth and final Christmas special of Games Master. And what a way to go out, I guess. We're on here on a desert island. And what would be more Christmassy? than a steel drum band. During our tenure of recording this podcast, we have had three actual Christmases and six not real Christmases. Yes. I mean, I know the pandemic changed our perception of time, but holy heckins, nine Christmases in three and a bit years. It has not become any less weird doing a Christmas intro for a podcast that is going to be released in March slash April. But we still both love Christmas, so we're still going to do it. Very much so, yeah. I mean, I really enjoy doing these Christmas episodes. It also means that when I come around to doing the edits, I get to find all the Christmas adverts and put those into the ad break in the middle of the episode, which I absolutely adore doing. Uh, we're going to be doing a Christmas episode next week where we're going to be covering Christmas number ones and what was going on in the TV because this isn't just our sixth and final Christmas special in Games Master history. This is our last Games Master episode of 1997. They go on a two-week hiatus after this episode and aren't back until January 1998, which means we aren't going to have an episode where we can cover the Christmas number ones and everything like that. So we're going to do that as a special bonus next week. Peel back the curtain. I suggested it mainly because otherwise Luke wouldn't get to talk about Spice World, the movie. <laughs> it was one of those, well, looking at the schedule, and I was like, Ah, oh, dang it, we are going to miss out on that. That's a bit of a bugger. And we both had the idea independently, and I messaged you, and then you went, I was just going to message you suggesting the same thing. Probably also so you could talk about Spice World, the movie. But we have a Calypso band, and I wish this Calypso band had been there the entire run of the series, because they just bring such a bizarre energy, and I am here for it. But actually, it does mean that we don't get the Hawaii Five O music this week. I am here for it, Luke. <laughs> well, who aren't here for it, though, are the Girl Fridays. No intro from them this week. They're too busy dancing. So Dominic Diamond has to do all of the work. Yeah, our boy Friday? <laughs> our Dom Friday. Dom Friday. What have we got coming up on the show? On tonight's show, Emma Harrison is quite literally up the creek without a paddle in Rapid River. But we begin with an event called 
think this is hard. Just wait till you hit puberty. When I think of Christmas, Luke, I think of Crash Bandicoot 2. This is a hell of a title. If you think this is hard, wait until you hit puberty. Multiple levels there. Yeah, and, and you know, the unwanted erection joke, this is not the only time we will get it in this episode. Crivens, like Christmas Day. This is a, uh, a filthy old episode. Just wait till Emma shows up later. Well, let's get into our first challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? Yes, it's Christmas. And what better way to get into this spirit of things than a challenge on the fiendishly hard Crash Bandicoot 2 on the PlayStation? In order to claim his golden joystick, my intrepid contestant must evade a series of rampaging polar bears and get to the end of the level without losing a life. In the second half of the level, Crash will be required to hitch a lift with a baby polar bear, a slippery beast of the best of times. Only the most focused of minds will be able to steer the furry infant from the clashes of its pathological parent. Okay, now Games Master has actually covered the details of the challenge. I suppose I see the Christmas connection because snow is Christmassy and polar bears kill a lot of things and spill a lot of blood, which is red, and red is Christmassy. It all makes complete sense to me. I think it's also a nice simple challenge that you can give to as we'll find out shortly a very tiny child and that's a way then you can do a very nice little Christmassy thing afterwards because dom says his introduction for the challenger is this is someone that's been pestering them for nearly a decade claiming he's the finest games player of his generation and i'm like dave perry's back (laughs) i thought the same thing it genuinely felt like that was a dig at dave I wasn't sure if it was because the entire conceit is is that Dom claims a period of time that is actually longer than this kid has been alive. I just also feel that the amount of times they kept hammering home, obviously it works as a great gag because he's six, but it also works very much a case of, yeah, this kid actually thinks that he's the best games player on the planet. He's the real games animal right here. Although he does need the girl Friday's help to walk on sand. Oh, bless his cotton socks he's walking across. It's genuinely sweet. And it's one of those situations where there are two paths that Dom could take and he takes the high road. Right, Alan, how old are you? Six. Six, and so you go to school. What, uh, who's your favourite teacher? Miss Lynch. Why do you like Miss Lynch? She isn't like the other teachers because the other teachers like tell you to tidy up the classroom when the teacher does it. But Miss Lynch says you can leave the classroom in a big mess, I don't care. She does it. She tidies it up. But I think Miss Lynch, you haven't quite got the idea of that power structure uh, yet though. Now when you're not at school and you play games, we know that you're very good at video games. What, what's your other favourite toys? Star Wars. Star Wars figures. How many Star Wars figures have you got? One. One? Which one's that? Luke. Luke Skywalker. Is that your favourite toy in the whole world? Yeah. Well, Alan, if you do our challenge, we're going to give you a Christmas present. If you don't, I'm going to keep the Christmas present and you're not going to get anything. Yep. Because he pops a squat next to the kid, he literally drops right down to his level and he's like, so, so how old are you? You're six? Oh, okay, you've been messaging us via a time machine then, haven't you? Cool. It's your favourite teacher? Oh, it's because she tidies the classroom up, Luke. It is adorable. It's proper sweet Uncle Dom. I love it so, so much. 
because you're right like he could have easily been grumpy dom of series four or even like you know the just their dom ones in series one and two but this is actually like this is a much more mature dominic diamonds this is a much more gentle dominic diamonds it mature in one sense i know you're pulling a face but mature in a different sense yeah he's got a girlfriend now he is just really really nice in this and we saw this with baby rom with like you know the affection that he had for his his nephew there that he is very excited to be able to give this child a christmas present and see the look on this kid's face when he gets a christmas present at the end of this taping in september because this kid's favorite toys are star wars figures or more accurately star wars figure singular he has one hey it's a great year to be into Star Wars figures because this is 1997. That's the big Kenner relaunch because we've got all the, the re-releases of the movies and stuff. So we've got a brand new line of Kenner, now really technically Hasbro. And this is a great time to get into some Star Wars figures. However, you're right. He has only got the one. Granted, it's a good one to have. It's the main one, if you will. But he has only got the one figure. Well, Luke, in the spirit of Christmas, as you alluded to, he completes this challenge. He's not just going to get a golden joystick. He's going to get a Christmas present. They've already telegraphed what it's going to be. But in the spirit of Games Master, if he doesn't complete the challenge, Dom's going to keep the present. And I think Dom would equally like this figure as much as the child would. Christmas is coming, and I've been particularly good all year in the hope that Santa will fill my sack with this little gem. Talk With Me Barbie is the latest high-tech toy to make it big in America this Yuletide, a land well-known for its high standards of taste and discretion. By connecting Barbie up to your PC and loading a special CD-ROM, you can program her with any amount of vital information and engage in conversations about topics as diverse as shopping, makeup, fashion and dating. But unfortunately, two tickets to Celtic Rangers didn't pump her nads. This Talk With Me Barbie is a brilliant little, like, next level up from like the teen talk Barbies that they did in the early 90s, the one that's parodied in, in The Simpsons. It fits so much within Games Master because we had all of the Barbie stuff in, in Series 6, but it's also a CD-ROM and it's a computer, so it kind of almost fits well to be featured here on the news. I did some digging on this and I found a period piece from the Seattle Times written by Stephen Kemp, which I'll get to in a second. But Luke, if you want to see one of these things not in action, but like sat on a shelf. One of them is on display in the Science Museum. Yeah, I was looking up at this earlier because there's not like a huge amount written online about this, but it is funny. If you type in Talk With Me Barbie 1997, one of the first links is come and see it in a Science Museum. I, w I love going to the Science Museum. It's one of my favourite museums to go to in London. And next time I'm there, I will be keeping an eye out for it. It won't actually cost you that much to buy either. I'm looking at one here on eBay, complete with CD-ROM, 37 quid. If you can get it working with your computer, best of luck to you. Knock yourselves out. But this article from the Seattle Times, which was written around this time in 1997, they start by saying, the average American girl owns 10 Barbie dolls. If you lined up all of the Barbie dolls ever made head to toe, the line of dolls would circle the earth 7.5 times. Barbie was a hot, hot item. Thanks to, you know, thanks a lot to Tom Kalinske, uh, who would, you know, completely revitalize Sega when he joins there in 1990. But he did wonders for Barbie and Mattel in the 80s, completely 
rejuvenated that brand and made it the big global mega brand that it is today. Yeah, like it was a hot thing throughout the 80s and even into the 90s, even with a lot of its controversies in the 90s. But not only that, but like Mattel just did very smart deals and started doing lots of branded Barbie things. So you like did lots of deals with McDonald's and SeaWorld and all this sort of stuff to make Barbie just not just financially viable and financially successful for them uh, in terms of sales, but financially successful in terms of business. And they took some of that money and they definitely put it back into like R&D because this is a pretty high-tech doll. It's basically got an articulated mouth and it does have that lip movement, a metal skull. It's got batteries built into the thighs, computer chips all around the body, an infrared sensor that looks like a necklace. It can remember up to 16 phrases and two names and it can say them clearly and concisely and repeat them properly. To, to kind of semi-quote the Seattle Times article, it doesn't transform her into Mr. Data from Star Trek The Next Generation, but it ain't bad for a kid's toy. It's a really good bit of kit because essentially like a lot of that mouth movement stuff, isn't that dissimilar to what they were doing with the, the Chucky doll? and the child's play movies i think it's a really cool bit of kit for a toy and as we mentioned earlier way less controversial than teen talk barbie so thumbs up mattel that, that's good lessons learned there and it's an amazingly clever follow-up to barbie fashion designer because you've already sold kids on hey look barbie and computers mix now they're taking it to the next level I'm amazed you can get it for like, what you said, 35, 36 quid? 37 quid you can get one on eBay for, yeah. Because this retailed for $90. Sorry, $89.99, not including sales tax. Which makes a lot of sense considering it probably cost Mattel a fair bob to make them, I'd imagine. There's a profit margin in there, but you've got the doll, you've got the mechanics, you've got the R&D, you've got the CD-ROM and the manufacturing, you've got the cables, the peripherals. It, it's a much more complicated product to produce than look. She's got a new hat. But Dom has been good all year. He really, really wants this. He hopes his sack will be filled with this little gem. And he talks about plugging her in, loading up the CD-ROM, filling her with vital information to have conversations on subjects like shopping, makeup, fashion and dating. Which also isn't a huge advancement from Teen Talk Barbie. There's the... the you know, the benefit here is that they didn't have her say maths is hard, which is where the controversy came around with Teen Talk Barbie. That's what sparked the, the Malibu Stacey parody episode in, in Simpsons. They didn't have her do anything stupid like that. Dom does have, I think, what is the best line of the episode here, or certainly the one that made me laugh the most. It nearly caused coffee to be spat on my keyboard at the time, which is the line, unfortunately, two tickets to Celtic V Rangers didn't pump her nads. <laughs> Did he say nads? Yes, he definitely said nads. He said nads, Luke. He did say nads on TV. Also, and this is something you will only see if you watch the episode, it does come up with a disclaimer right at the beginning that says American TV commercial. Talk with me, Barbie. Ready? What's your name? Hey, who's your friend? Amy, you're so cool. She knows me. When you program how you want to play, let's shop. Barbie has something fun to say. Let's go, Barbie. I love you. When you program her with your PC, she can say your name and talk about you. Batteries not included. If this was in Series 5, 
it would have had the Mystery Science Theatre treatment to it. A ray of sunshine fell upon the lives of the otherwise grossly neglected residents of Harlow and Essex last week, when the nation's 13th Sega Park opened its doors on Friday. Despite its name, the park has no trees or grass in sight, concentrating instead on over 50 arcade machines and a general atmosphere of frivolity. Indeed, Sega are hoping that Harlow Sega Park and others like it will usher in a new era in which the arcade is seen as a place of family fun rather than the dingy haunt of sociopaths and kids bunking off school. My main takeaway from this little news item here about the, the new Sega Park in, in Harlow is that carpet. Because that's the carpet I remember from my local Mega Bowl from my youth. And it actually would have been around this time as well. It still would have been like this carpet. If I went down to my local bowling alley, it would have had this carpet, that beautiful 90s Sega carpet that still has a Sonic the Hedgehog picture on it. And I none of it probably really exists much else anywhere, but I really wish I could find some good quality carpets from a Sega park. I'd just put it in my office. I doubt any of that has survived that oh, isn't soaked no. with soda vomit we yeah urine child and adult yep various other substances the safest thing you could do is burn it and even yeah. then burn it but don't stand downwind it just would have been a real shame but i i've still got, i still hold out hope that there's just going to be some warehouse somewhere in london that is going to open up one of their cupboard doors and be like, oh, look, we've just got loads of this Sega World carpet. We'll just throw this all up on eBay. You'll be maxing out the credit card for that. Yeah, or I will do what I usually do in those situations. I'll look at it and go like, that's too expensive. I'm not doing that. I don't really need it. Or you say, do you know what this studio needs at work? Needs a new carpet. (laughs) Does need new carpet, you know. This Sega World opened in December 1997, and by the end of the year 2000, it was already dust. I mean, bless Sega for opening these up. It just sort of feels like Sega are not at a great point here in, in the tail end of 1997 because the sand's not doing well. Like, if this is a news item that had come in Series 4, you'd be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Sega are riding high at the moment. But after the, you know, the absolute failure in the Trocadero, it almost feels like, oosh, are we opening up another one, are we? We're opening up another one of these little parks? Didn't do too bad to begin with. The real kind of downfall of it came when uh, Leisure Exchange bought it out, as they bought out a number of the other Sega properties, and essentially took away the ticket games, the ski balls, all that stuff, and just went, now here's some fruities, here's some slot machines. And it just immediately changed it from being this kind of bright, family centre to every seafront nowadays. Now, don't get me wrong, I love going through the seafront arcades in the Isle of Wight, Southampton, yada, 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 going to the 2P machines. But you've got all those fruit machines that they just keep in a separate partition. I don't want to say it lowers the tone, but it does lower the tone. I would say it cheapened the experience somewhat. I really love this write-up on SegaRetro.org about this changeover when Leisure Exchange bought it out. This is a direct quote from SegaRetro.org. This all led to Sega Park's downfall, as the place became a hangout for chavs and teen gangs who would eye the venue and hassle customers for their money. That sounds like it was written by someone who often frequently visited Sega Park Harlow. I was just clicking through some links there on the Sega Retro.org. Just scrolling down, scrolling down, scrolling down, different Sega Parks. (gasps) I found my local one. Oh, that's lovely. And it's got here, Sega Park Reading was an indoor Sega Park arcade located in Reading Super Bowl on Pinsons Lane. The arcade opened along with the Super Bowl on February 18th, 1994. 
1995, a Daytona USA contest was held there, with a Sega Rally contest being held the following year. In late 95, the Sega Park was refurbished. I think that's why we lost some of the carpets. It is unknown when the venue closed, although it's likely closed before the Leisure Exchange purchase of the Sega Arcades in 2000. I think that is correct. So I'm pretty sure we would have been going there in the late 90s. And I don't think it was exclusively Sega stuff then because they definitely had Time Crisis. Okay. The building later became Reading Mega Bowl and it was then demolished to make way for an IKEA which is what is there today. Today, the UK's first 3D IMAX cinema opens in London. As well as having a screen seven stories high, the new cinema gives an extra dimension by using special LCD headsets, which by flashing open and closed extremely fast, present a slightly different picture to each eye. The first 3D title on show is called Across the Sea of Time, a story set in the past and present of New York City. Oh dear. We can only hope that future titles will feature our preferred diet of gratuitous violence, gigantic spaceships, attractive ladies, and pointless explosions. Now, you might think that this is the IMAX as people might know the IMAX in, in London at the moment, but it's it's not that IMAX. No, it's funny we were just talking about Sega World because lo and behold, we're back at the Trocadero for the 3D IMAX London, otherwise known as the Pepsi IMAX Theatre. Yeah, this was, so I found an article that was written in Empire magazine that talks about how they brought this IMAX theatre to London's Trocadero with the heart of the IMAX technology is a film frame that is 10 times the size of a conventional 35mm movie. It's projected onto a screen seven stories high in a specifically constructed auditorium seating 300 people. For the first time ever in the UK, you can also experience astonishing IMAX 3D in Across the Sea of Time, a New York adventure. As you enter the theatre, you're given a special headset which features a built-in personal sound system, IMAX PSE, personal sound environment, that complements the theatre's six-channel soundtrack and provides an amazing all-round 3D sensory experience. And the cool thing about this is that for you know a, a good period of time, because this article was written on the 19th, so it's two days after this episode of Games Master Airs, until early Jan, you could go for free. It's a hell of a marketing ploy. I don't think it worked out for them in the long term. Like a lot of things at the Trocadero, it did not work out for them in the long term. So they mention here, of course, and it's in the news article about Across the Sea of Time, but that wasn't the only title that they showed there. They also showed Grand Canyon, The Hidden Secrets, Blue Planet, The Science of Fun, Thrill Ride, and Luke, Beavers. (laughs) And that's all the stuff that we're seeing in this news item, because they're not showing Across the Sea of Time here, which is actually a film that has come out a few years prior to this. It's from 1995, but it's like it's the first time it's being shown here because we've now got the technology to be able to screen it here. And beavers. And beavers. That, well, I mean, that's what people are going for. That's what they're getting their free tickets for. Mate, that close to Soho, you see a billboard advertising beavers, it's going to be getting a lot of very confused, disappointed people. With Dominic Diamond front and centre. <laughs> Got wood. Six-year-old Alan Frost is about to show the world why he is the finest guest player of his generation on a Crash Bandicoot 2. Helping me describe the action is the ever-youthful Kirk Ewan Kirk. It's Christmas time. What are you hoping to find in your sack? Uh, well, I, uh, I very rarely find anything in my sack, let's be honest. Uh, I'm usually, uh, I usually find it a very barren place indeed. And so that's what I'll be expecting for Christmas, same as usual, nothing. Uh, right. Now, uh, Alan, though, if he does the challenge, will get uh, this fine present, which he has no idea what it is yet. It'll be a really nice surprise, only if he gets it. If you don't get it, Alan, if you don't win it, you don't get the present. You know that. Cool. <laughs> you mentioned in one of those news items that you had your 
moment of the episode that made you laugh the most when uh, uh, Dom talked about Barbie's nads. This was the bit that made me laugh the most. And it's so wonderful and adorable. It's actually nothing to do with Dom and Kirk and their chat about uh, Kirk's balls being empty because he wanks too much. It's actually just the moment where Dom reminds Alan of what's at stake. And he's like, now, Alan, if you win, you get your present. But if you don't win, I'm going to keep the present. And Alan looks blankly at him and just waves. <laughs> it's so adorable. And Tom looks at the camera and goes, cool. <laughs> and yet, little six-year-old Alan sat cross-legged on a fiberglass log is still giving Dominic Diamond more to work with than those <laughs> skaters last week. Still an old wave. Cool. Kirk actually gives some pretty solid advice. Yeah, he just says, keep running, avoid the traps. It's a tough challenge, especially for a little lad like Alan. No time limit. Just don't get crushed by the boulder or polar bear or whatevs. They do basically go on the record and say, look, it's the same as the boulder and pig challenges from the first game. They've just changed the boulder into a polar bear and the pig into another smaller polar bear. You always say on this show, peanut butter and jam that's what this level is now is it's boulder and polar bear dom wishes alan luck alan no sells it again alan's here for one thing and i don't even think it's the games master golden joystick he wants what's in that box he wants that presence and so he is just eyes on the prize i am not messing this up here the challenge is off to a little bit of a shaky start because alan doesn't start moving in fact initially he almost tries to run the wrong way. It's almost Dave Perry playing Mario 64 levels of just working out what the controls are. Where am I? Where am I actually positioned? Just imagine Dominic squatting next to Alan going, now Alan, when the challenge starts, can you can you just run the wrong direction for a few seconds? Don't Don't worry about it. It'll just be really funny to some of us. But then he starts going, he starts breaking wooden fences, ducking electric fences, spinning geckos out the way. He gets past the first polar bear without any real trouble or hassle. He flies through it perfectly. And like even in the second he hits one of the mines in the sort of the, the second bit of the challenge. Like the second quarter of the challenge, he hits one of the mines. So, but he also hit a speed boost, which means that the polar bear does not catch up with him. I don't know if this was actually Alan playing this game. I, I want to believe, in the spirit of Christmas, I want to believe that little Alan was a gaming progeny. I feel that this was Alan, and I think it was just, he practiced it and practiced it, and he was just really just good at it. I mean, it is like hugely skillful at times because there's a couple of moments, particularly in like the third and fourth quarter, where you're jumping over a hole and instantly sliding yourself under an electric fence. And really, I, he only does make one mistake in the whole challenge. I would like to believe this was him. If it turns out that it was Kirk or it was Rick Henderson playing it off screen, I don't think I'd be hugely surprised. But like you, in the sense of the Christmas spirit, I want to believe. Because it's a beautiful little bit of television. There's even that amazing moment when the second polar bear falls through a bridge and Dominic's just kind of going the story of like, well, where's the third polar bear? Has he given up? It's like, oh no, there he is. Oh no, run, Alan, run. Ride that little polar bear, Alan. Go for it. Dom does raise the very valid question. 
Why is the big bear chasing the little bear? I don't know if they've got a really good answer for this, but Dom and Kirk do find all of this very, very funny. It's adorable, goofy, funny, and a little bit tense. It's not the most tense challenge we've had, but it's kind of entertainingly tense. Yeah, this is a challenge that is adorable more than it is anything else. Mild peril. It never really feels like Alan's in any danger of losing it. And it just feels like this is a kid. And we've had kids like this on Games Master before. Kids that just know what they're doing. Kids that have just gone in to do this challenge and just know exactly what the challenge needs and what the challenge requires and does it to the letter. And he does indeed do it to the letter. He gets through the challenge. The little and big bears fall down a pit. And Alan completes the challenge. And after a little bit of pausing, does give Dom some answers in the post-match. Was it easy? Mm. Not really. No, it's a very hard game, isn't it? You're just very good, aren't you? Well, I tried my best. Yeah. So would you like to open your present really quickly? Oh, let me put that bit. Oh, that's it. Good lad. Mm. Uh, okay, what have we got here? What is that? A Star Wars figure. And who is it? Mm, Han Solo. Han Solo. And you know something else? You know that's not the only present you get. You know you get another one, don't you? A golden joystick. Yes, you do! I'm not going to rag on the kid too much. He's six years old. Very, very nervous. But he's very sweet as well. Just by finding the answers, it wasn't easy. Tried my best. I tried my best. Oh, bless him. And like, I tried my best. Dude, you won. Your best was good enough. And he gets to open the present. Oh, what a moment. And Luke, what has he got? He has got a Han Solo from that 1997 relaunch line. Star Wars figures from Kenner. Can you help defeat Darth Vader and the evil empire with the help of your friends Luke Skywalker, Chewbacca and Han Solo, R2-D2 and C-3PO? Live the adventure. Star Wars figures from Kenner. Quality figure. He now has Luke and Han, so he can now create those awkward off-screen conversations between the two of them about snogging Leia. Exactly. And, you know, where they eventually marry each other instead. Now, it is a beautiful gesture, and Alan is definitely more interested in Han Solo than he is the golden joystick, because he's like, fuck this piece of tat. I've got Han Solo. But there is part of me, and it's a small part, that just went, one figure, you cheap bastards. Hey, it could have been worse. It could have been like a really rubbish figure. But no, this is a cool, this is like from the nice new Kenner relaunch series. So at least it's a nice one. They could have sprung for a Han, a Darth Vader and a Stormtrooper is all I'm saying. Giving them a set. I mean, don't get me wrong, two figures, two great figures. They're really nice sculpts, great present. But they're both good guys. You need a baddie. Yeah, you need a villain of the piece. Maybe this kid has got a really good ima active imagination. I mean, like, fun fact about G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe was not going to have baddies because Hasbro were like, well, kids don't want to buy baddies. We'll just have G.I. Joe and they'll just be a bunch of heroes until someone asked, well, well who are they going to fight? And Kirk Bazigian was just like, they'll fight their other toys. Like, we don't need to make baddies. Kids don't want to buy baddies. And eventually they had to be convinced to have a evil corporation for them to fight and someone said i don't know just like cobra or something and then they paused and were like yeah cobra will do and that is how we got cobra see when i was growing up i had an action man i never had gi joe but i did have an action man and you know what he fought luke 
What did who did he fight? He fought the elements. Because <laughs> <laughs> there were Action Man did eventually get bad guys, but when I was growing up, you had Action Man and you had Eagle Eye Action Man, which was the one I had. Then you had blonde haired Action Man, and I suppose you could dress him up like in a Nazi uniform, and then your regular Eagle Eye Action Man could fight him. I only ever had one Action Man. So really, I had the occasional accessories, I had the different camo fatigues, and I had a set of guns, and he could shoot rocks in the sand pit. That was it. It's wonderful, these sort of stories, because it does show you how, although we are close in age, there is still that gap between us. Because when I had my Action Man, I had Mr. X. I, I had a villain for my action man to go up against. Like it was, And if it wasn't Mr. X, you could get Gangrene. I had to remind myself that Gangrene was the name of a character and you weren't just going, if I didn't buy more action men, they were going to make me lose a limb. Well, yeah, I, when I played with action man, I went method. <laughs> you went method. You, you, were, you were out back digging trenches. <laughs> exactly. Was, I'm going to get some trench foot and, I'm gonna have a, and then I'll go in for me lunch. Anyway, Alan gets his golden joystick struggles to hold on to both and so while he learns the basic skill of juggling two presents at the same time we're gonna go over to kind of reviews well here on games master christmas is a time normally associated with wasting huge amounts of money on video games so a very merry wednesday to you all and here's our top list of games for christmas 97 Right, first up on my Christmas wish list is Jedi Knight, a game that you really can't set a foot wrong because it's Star Wars. And once you have those sound effects, those graphics, and that kind of atmosphere, it's very, very entertaining. However, it's also nice to see that they've actually given some thought to the game behind all this atmospherics. The levels are designed well, the characters are designed well, and the story is actually an original take on the Star Wars story. All in all, a very, very classy shooter. Yeah, because this is more of a, a buyer's guide. I mean, you could argue what this section here is. These are the best games of 1997. Although really there's like, these are the best games of 1997 that have come out within the last couple of months. There are some great suggestions here. Some games that have actually really held up over time. I mean, the first one recommended for the PC, Star Wars, Jedi Knight, Dark Forces 2. It's a fully 3D game. It, it's really, really good. You can still go out and get it from good old games even now. I would heartily recommend doing so. I think the Dark Forces games or Jedi Knight games are really, really good first-person shooters. Not Doom clones. Not Doom clones. Don't, don't say the D word. But they're really good first-person shooters or in the case of Jedi Knight, not always first-person. The series gets a bit confusing because you had Dark Forces, then you had Star Wars Jedi Knight, colon Dark Forces 2. Then you had Jedi Knight 2, Jedi Outcast, which was released in 2002, but dropped the Dark Forces subtitle, even though it would have technically been Dark Forces 3. Well, no, because then at that point, it's Star Wars, Jedi Knight 2, colon, Jedi Outcast, colon, Dark Forces 3. Yeah, okay, I'll buy that. <laughs> Subsection 5. But Rich is up first. And he's right, you can't set a foot wrong. It's Star Wars. It's got the sound effects. It's got the music. It's got the graphics, the atmosphere, the spaceship, the character designs. The game is solid as well, which is always helps. Hello, Shadows of the Empire. You had so many of those things and the gameplay just kind of went, eh. But the levels are designed well. The characters are designed well. And the story is an original take set within the Star Wars universe. It is a really good game. I love that he calls it a classy shooter. And it sort of is as well. Like it's, 
we talked about this with Dark Forces 1, that just in this period of time, like of Star Wars fandom, you know, we just had the the, the re-releases um, out in cinemas. We're sort of like the anticipation is now starting to ramp up for like, oh, there's going to be a new Star Wars movie. Like it's in just over a year's time, we're going to get a whole new Star Wars movie. It's like excitement's ramping up. So being able to walk through very recognizable Star Wars environments in fully 3D just feels so cool. And like, there's a moment in the footage they're showing here where you know you're sort of stopped and you're looking at a Tie Fighter, and the sort of Tie Fighter flies off, and you're like, "That's awesome!" You would do a moment like that in a Star Wars game now. There are certain things like that that just sort of tug at the old heartstrings and sort of like hit you in the nostalgia. Like when I did the Secret Cinema Empire Strikes Back screening, an X-wing, a full-size X-wing, came down from the ceiling, and I cried. I was, it was, I was just so happy to see that thing just like lowering down from the ceiling. But I also got a bit of a giggle watching this footage because the person who is playing this game has all of the accuracy of a stormtrooper. Ah, uh, he's playing Method as well. <laughs> it almost feels like the soldier guy that was playing Goldeneye a couple of weeks back, just shooting everything around it. Now, my first choice above all other games this Christmas has to be Blade Runner. You can run it on a P90 and it'll look like you're running it on a P200 with 3D effects. It's truly incredible. Light sourcing and particle effects like you've never seen before. The game is totally slick, totally playable and an enjoyable experience all round. Up next is another game we've discussed in depth before because we talked about your experiences playing it, my experiences playing it. Again, a game that you can still get and play today, although maybe stay away from the remaster. It's Blade Runner on the PC a game that will look as good on a P90 as it would on a P200 with a 3DFX card. Look, not move. That's exactly it. We should be very clear to make that point. It will look nice, it just will not run nicely. You won't get as many frames of animation as you are on a low-level PC. But I, I think Rob's completely right here. This is, it's totally slick, it's totally playable, an enjoyable experience all around. I don't think he's wrong. I think he's bang on the banana with this one. And I think with these two entries here, you can tell that like Richard is a Star Wars fan. You know that opening line where it's just like, you can't put a foot wrong, it's Star Wars. I really feel like Rob loves Blade Runner. And so like for him being able to play this game and being in that world is hugely exciting. Particularly as we were talking about, you know, on previous episodes, this is almost mid-quill territory here. This is a game that is set as you are the events of the original movie are happening. I bet you Rob had a GeoCities site about whether Deckard was a replicant. (laughs) Strong start for the PC. Two games that are not only great games, but games that play to the PC strength. Well, I hope N64 owners have very small stockings because there's not going to be an awful lot of games to shove in them this year. One of them, however, is Goldeneye, a superb first-person shoot-em-up. The only game that could knock Turok off that particular throne. Exciting, incredibly well-designed, beautiful to watch, and above all, totally engrossing. Now, Richard's line here about Goldeneye being really... like I mean, the point he's making is there are not a lot of good N64 games to ask for for Christmas, which I feel is slightly unfair. I think they're basing it on the assumption that if you want a Christmas game, you're wanting something that's come out in the past couple of months, not something that's been there since launch. And arguably some of the strongest titles at that point for the N64 were within that initial couple of months after launch. Yeah, you're looking at your Mario 64s and actually when you get into the summer Mario Kart. 
And now here we are in the winter, I suppose. Goldeneye is the big game, but there's also Diddy Kong Racing. Is it a killer app, though? Oh, well, that depends. I mean, I'm not going to get into the whole Diddy Kong Racing versus Super Mario Kart arguments. Oh, no, I'm not even talking versus. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love both of them. I think Diddy Kong was actually a much bolder game and did some really new stuff that Mario Kart later heavily cribbed from. But... I think what they're saying here is that maybe by only having one, they are just highlighting that there is less to choose from. I mean, we had two PC games. That's not to say they're the only two good PC games. They're just two very well-regarded and well-respected PC games of the current crop. No, no, and I completely agree with that. It was more his case of there are not a lot of good games to ask for. And actually, going by the reviews that we've had on... Games Master Series 7 thus far, you know, Bomberman 64, not a great score. Lambo 64, not a great score. I just feel that there are, there were other games, but of all of them, Goldmine is probably the best one to ask for for that Christmas period. I mean, yeah, you could have had Diddy Kong, you could have had Mario Kart, you could have also, I suppose, had Lilac Wars. Oh yeah, I suppose that's out at this point, isn't it? Also, did they like it? I mean, not everyone loved Lilac Wars. Like yeah, Star true. Fox, it's a, it's a shooter on rails. You know, I won't say that people are wrong for not liking it because it may not be their style of game. But Goldeneye, we've talked about it a lot. It is a game and it definitely is a killer app. Final Fantasy VII is definitely another game to put in your Christmas stocking. I mean, it's an awesome experience. It sold three million copies in the first three days of release. Three million Japanese guys can't be wrong, let's face it. I mean, all right, the European market has never liked RPGs, but this one definitely breaks the mold. It's completely engrossing. The interactivity there is amazing. You've got graphics and some of the most incredible moments in computer game history all in one package. With 70 hours of gameplay, you're probably still going to be playing it this time next year anyway. Speaking of the killer rap, although I don't think that Games Master will tell you in this section here that this is the game to buy for uh, your PlayStation. But having said that, they are very, very much into Final Fantasy VII. Three million Japanese guys can't be wrong after all. And they do address that elephant in the room of, yeah, we know the European market has never really been big into JRPGs, but this is the mold breaker. This is the difference maker. And they're not wrong. It was the Western world switched on to Final Fantasy VII. Arguably, it changed the direction of Final Fantasy because from this point onwards, whilst I wouldn't say they pandered to a Western audience, They were aware of the Western audience. Yeah, and I think that Rob is on the money here as well when he says that it's got some of the best moments in computer game history. Like, that is a bold statement to make in December 1997, but recording this now in March 2023, he's not wrong. Like, that is a sentence that really does hold the test of time. It has got some of the best moments in computer game history. It is certainly one of the first times I can remember a video game having a true emotional gut punch storyline moment. That's not to say that video games didn't have good stories, but the time taken to create the connection and the impact and the amount of times people replayed entire sections of that game because they didn't believe they couldn't save that character. It was one of those early moments and I look at so many games now that have taken that more cinematic approach that have could have driven you to become connected to characters only to kill them or remove them from the story they might have still happened without final fantasy 7 in fact a lot of them probably would have because a lot of the games i'm thinking of immediately on my head are actually western games but would i have developed that relationship with video games without final fantasy 7 i suppose is a more relevant question yeah and i don't know that i would have certainly i don't think i'd have developed um the taste for jrpg and turn-based mechanics in that way 
I completely agree with you on that one because I I have played some RPG stuff before that, you know, like the Fantasy Star series and, and things like that on the Mega Drive. That was, something was always keeping me at arm's length, but Final Fantasy VII actually just brought me in for a warm embrace. And I'm glad that we're getting to talk about Final Fantasy VII again because it's come up quite a few times in the last few episodes of Dominic Diamond's Substack and his uh, Purple Column podcast that he's doing. I'm going to read this little section out, and I can read this bit. This is part of the free feed. This was from uh, a couple of weeks back. I'm not reading out anything from the paid pals. This is all from the free bit. This is from a freebie section. Don't you substackers go dobbing on us to Dominic. We're no, playing no. by the rules here. Absolutely. This is part of the free bit, because he's currently playing through Final Fantasy VII Remake. And he basically just writes here, I'm a little bit disappointed by Final Fantasy VII Remake. I'm halfway through it in terms of chapter numbers, and uh, it's a teeny bit fucking dull. The original was my greatest immersive gaming experience of the 90s. I hadn't engaged emotionally with a game like that in my life before. Also, I had never imagined a game that could have a world that large. I could barely get my head around the size of it. And that is where the remake is immediately disappointing. I thought it was really nice that we were at this point in our Games Master timeline and Dominic at the same time is reminiscing about his experiences playing Final Fantasy VII in this time frame. Also, go and subscribe to Dominic's uh, little old purple column uh, substack. It is a delightful read and a wonderful little listen and well-deserving of your time and your pennies. I bet you never thought that a toasting frog and a small dog in a beanie hat was going to make your Christmas, but it's certainly going to be making mine. This has got to be the most unusual, and while we're on the subject, the most warped video game in creation, but it's incredibly entertaining. A very simple concept, brilliantly executed, enormously creative, fun, great music, pretty graphics, the best game this year by an awful long way. in the mic if you want to test me i'm sure you'll find the things i'll teach you sure of beat you nevertheless you'll get a lesson from teacher now. but our final game in this little wrap-up here is what richard calls the best game of 1997 by quite a long way richard and kirk ewing are kindred spirits in this regard i'd imagine or kirk slipped him 20 quid <laughs> maybe but i can see Richard and Kirk just having quite a laugh playing this game. And like Richard is just gushing and gushing about Parappa the Rapper, unusual warped video game, incredibly entertaining, a simple concept that's brilliantly executed. It is a glowing review of a game. And I love that this here Parappa the Rapper, considering that like one of the big plus points of Final Fantasy VII is the 70 hours of gameplay, Parappa the Rapper can be completed in an afternoon. And a very short afternoon at that. It's only got six songs. Now, if you behave yourself this year, you will get one of those fantastic games as a Christmas present. I've been especially good, so I'm getting two. Dom's line here before we get into the celebrity challenge, where he says that if you're good enough, boys and girls, you'll get at least one of those for Christmas. But I've been especially good, so I'm getting two in the form of the celebrity challenge. Is he talking about her tits? Yes. 
Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, he yeah. is. Just, well, just wanted to make sure because there was a there was almost a bit of a disconnect between what he was talking about and his punchline. I just want to make sure I'm connecting the dots all together. There is a chance he recorded this link after the upcoming celebrity challenge when he would have been a bit distracted. But before we get into who the celebrity is, what will she be playing? I'm well known for my love of the great outdoors. And it's not unusual to see me, paddle in hand, engaged in a spot of aquatic tomfoolery. My contestant tonight has a very similar challenge. Heading into uncharted waters on the arcade game Rapid River, they'll be relying upon precision and stamina alone to guide them to the finishing line before the timer expires. Luke, I'm confused because we've got Rapid River, Namco Arcade game, yada, 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 gimmick controller, whatever. Games Master is into water sports but doesn't skateboard because he doesn't have hands but can go white water rafting. I'm, my flowcharts are all messed up. I do not understand. This is why I said the Top Skater intro was a little bit warped. I don't think that they are consistent enough with this character. When Dominic Diamond did that interview with us, yes, we did interview Dominic Diamond, and he said that Games Master is one of the greatest icons of the 1990s alongside Mr. Blobby. This is why people don't remember Games Master as much as they remember Mr. Blobby. It's inconsistencies like this. Mr. Blobby would never have made an error like that. Well, he might have, we just wouldn't have understood him. He would have walked into it. While you mention Games Master as an icon, can I have a brief soapbox moment? Please go for it. Stop comparing Modoc to Games Master. <laughs> it's Fucking lazy. Modoc is a giant head with arms and legs. Games Master is just a giant head with a monocle. Even with the, admittedly, a bit wonky CGI of the realisation of Modoc, it still doesn't look anything like Games Master. I have not seen these comparisons being made. This is a big Twitter thing. It's only because I've got the tweet deck column that has the keyword of Games right. Master. So I get some weird stuff show up there. And when those images of Modoc first appeared, it was just full of people going, oh, it's Games Master. Oh, it's Games Master. But anyway, <laughs> Rapid River here. Uh, you'll be surprised to learn not a lot of conversions of this to uh, other platforms because this is a gimmick arcade. This is like prop cycle. It, it's not as much fun if you put this in the home. You know, the whole point of this is you're in the, the boat with the big paddle. And it can be played by two players. In fact, ideally, as you can tell by the graphics that show two people in the raft, it is designed to be played by two players because Namco were trying to make this game appeal to people that were on dates with each other. It's a fun idea, or a really cute reason to make a game. One of the most notable things I've got about this game, other than pneumatic system that jolts the raft around, and believe me, that comes into play with this particular challenger, it's got a massive screen, so it really fills your field of view. It's a very bright, colourful course. There's dinosaurs, there's this, that, the other. There's six different themed areas, so you can play this multiple times and get different experiences every time. But what's stuck in my head 
is that it was running on an early version of Namco System 23, which was a much more widely adopted hardware platform down the line. But it was one of only a handful of games that was running on the revision of it called the Namco Gorgon. And I just love that because it contained the word Gorgon. <laughs> it did very well when it was released. It was popular in Japan. Even Edge liked it. The and magazine, like, not yeah. the wrestler. I was gonna say, if Edge are liking it, then you're probably going to have a good time with it. There were a lot of people talking about how it was hugely popular and, you know, the writing up that it was one of the, the most popular games of December of, of 97. And you can kind of see why. There's a really appealing thing to sit in there and play these gimmick machines like we saw with Top Skater last week. Yeah, I mean, how appealing was it? Sega Saturn magazine dubbed it the game everyone was talking about. And that was from a magazine branded by a company who were kind of at war with Namco a little bit. I think it says a lot about the fact that that quote comes from Sega Saturn magazine that they're talking about. No, everyone's just talking about these arcade games. Like That is what everyone's talking about. No one's talking about us anymore. But who's going to play this, Luke? Which magical guest are we going to have? Someone that's done so many wonderful things. Films, neighbours, lots of magazine features. Brackets. Lads, 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 lads. Our special guest uh, today has done a plethora of wonderful things. Films, neighbours and tons of magazine features. A couple of which I keep underneath my bed. Please welcome Emma Harrison. <laughs> Listen, I was the last person in the world that wanted you to stop dancing there, Emma. You are, you are mad for it, basically, aren't you? You're well up for it. Got loads of energy. You certainly do. You have got a reputation for being a bit of a wild one, though, haven't you? Um, You've done a couple bit. of wild things, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, occasionally I just get really yeah. excited. What's the maddest thing you've ever done? Oh. <laughs> well, once at a party, um, uh -huh. I had too much champagne. Yes. And I got up on a table and... <laughs> dance around and put my knickers on my head. <laughs> that might have been cold. Could have got a head cold. No, but, you know, it's silly. Perfectly and... understandable. Well, yeah, look, here's what I've written. Don welcomes Emma Harrison, who he wanks to in magazines. He would not be alone in that. She did quite a few FHM, Loaded, and the like. And Playboy. She, had a, it was a, she was a Playboy centrefold. She is quite prolific as, as a model and, you know, as an actor as well. She is also into being on this show. Yeah, she's having a great time. Oh, she's having such a good time because, of course, as we mentioned, there's a Calypso band. So as she is being paddled towards the shore, the Calypso band are playing and she is rocking the boat with the amount she is dancing to the Calypso band. The poor girl Friday is struggling a little with the control of the vessel, more so than usual. Well, we talked about this back in episode one, but like Helena talks about this in the book. She was struggling to paddle that boat because she found it very difficult to do. So I don't think Emma was making her life any easier as she is just dancing along. But even when like she comes up and she, you know, she's gutted that the music stops. And then one of the first things that Dom says to her is like, you're mad for it. Dom seems both charmed and also slightly feared of Emma because... She is laughing throughout this entire challenge. She is very happy to be there. She's very happy to be having fun. And she seems entirely at ease with everything going on around her, even if she doesn't always seem to quite understand it. You know, like back on Bullseye or Supermarket Sweep or something, when they would interview people afterwards, and one of the things they would say was like, we've had a great day out. 
Like, you know, if, if they don't win, they're like, oh, well, you know, it's okay. We've had a really nice day out. Emma is having a really nice day out. She is having a very fun day. She got up that morning. She was going towards Games Master. She probably had quite a good giggle on the car ride there. They arrived at the set and has done nothing but laugh and have a fun time. And then she goes on to, there's, there's a Calypso band playing. So she gets to dance with them. And then Dom just starts getting her to tell some funny stories. Then she plays a weird little silly game. And then she gets to laugh a little bit more in the outro. She had a great day out. And at this point in her career, she was done with Neighbours, although she might still have been on the screen over here. I'm not quite sure where we were on the kind of delay between Australia and England, because technically she was written out April 1997. I'm pretty sure that the story goes that we were always six months behind. So she would have just been off screens, I would have thought. Like, she, and it would have been like very, very shortly around the time. By the time that when they're recording this, she would have still been on screens. But I wonder if by the time it actually aired, she would have been off. She would have certainly just made her kind of like dramatic exit. So she would have still been fresh in the mind because even at that point, if a major character got written out of a soap opera, it made the papers. Mm. But that was kind of like where she first really got some international exposure, if you'll pardon the expression. Luke, she also appeared in movies including one I believe you may have a little bit of information on. Now, you're also looking through the stuff that you've done. You have actually in Street Fighter, the movie. Yes, that's right. A quality film. <laughs> you always, now, obviously, you're working with Jean-Claude Van Damme. How, how, what was the closest you stood to Jean-Claude Van Damme? Mm, maybe you and me away. That's... Well, actually, I was at a party with him once, uh-huh. and he invited me over for a drink and you... champagne, and oh, I yeah. said no. Don't tell me. Jumped up on the table. No, pants no, on no, the no. I said no because I right. just—I don't know. I wasn't really into him. No. If you know what I mean. Yeah. I'm not one of these people that just want to hang around because you're in a movie. You know? Right. Yes. Uh, she was in Street Fighter, so she claims she played a character called Nicola in that movie. I've honestly seen that movie a hundred times at this point, but I, I could not tell you much about the character of Nicola. And apparently, she once stood as close to Jean-Claude Van Damme as she is standing here to Dom. And Jean-Claude Van Damme invited her for a drink, and she declined. Yeah, I mean, Van Damme quite famously was a party animal on uh, the set of Street Fighter. I'm not, like, blowing anyone's minds here or anything like that, but the way he was blowing his nose. But he has been very public about his party lifestyle that he had on the set of Street Fighter. He claimed at one point he was spending $10,000 a day on cocaine. Stephen D'Souza would tell me stories that like a wrangler went out with him to make him behave and be on set at time, but the wrangler was just going out and buying him more drugs. And so the wrangler would then show up on set and be like, oh yeah, Jean-Claude isn't feeling very well. He can't come down to set for a, for a few hours yet just while he, because uh, he'd been partying the night before. And he was doing it a lot with the rest of the cast. He has openly admitted he started an extramarital affair with Kylie Minogue on the set of Street Fighter. So I love the fact here that Emma is telling what sounds like a very innocent story. Jean-Claude asked me to hang out with him. But really, knowing what we know now about the production of Street Fighter, he was asking her to go out and do lots of drugs. Yeah, I mean, Emma, bless her, she has had her own struggles with youth and fame and substances and what. But also, I probably wouldn't have gone for a drink with Jean-Claude because, to summarise what you've just said, he was kind of a coked-up dickhead at this point. I can't remember who it was that told me the story now, but it was he took one of the cast members 
to a restaurant and it was a restaurant that's called the No Hands Restaurant because there are just women there that feed you the food. And he thought that was the coolest thing in the world. And that was the sort of place he would have liked to have hang out. I don't think I would have been friends with Jean-Claude Van Damme uh, on the set of Street Fighter. Emma Harrison here, she has got a character name in Street Fighter. However, if you Google Emma Harrison Street Fighter Nicola, nothing comes up. No one is making any actual record of her being in the Street Fighter movie. I'm going to have to pull the Blu-ray out. I'm going to have to go over the credits, make sure she's in the credits and frame by frame it and just try and work out. Which extra are you? (laughs) Yeah, or which scene were you cut out of? But she doesn't need Jean-Claude Van Damme's help to have a good time because she says herself, Don brings up, she's a bit of a wild one. Yeah, I was at a party once, I drank too much champagne, I got up on a table and I danced around with my knickers on my head. Bless her heart. She knows that this is a show that's going out like Tea Time on Channel 4. So it's trying to find the most Tea Time on Channel 4 friendly way of telling this story. (laughs) You can literally watch her eyes flip back and forth as she's trying to find the words to tell this story. It's like, okay, what can I say? Okay, (laughs) I can mention the champagne. I can mention the knickers on my head. I don't have to mention that I took my knickers off to put them on my head. That's it. And it almost feels like when she says champagne, there's a moment where she's like, oh, shit, I should have said champagne. (laughs) I should have said fizzy Ribena. Exactly, yeah. It's like that bit in The Simpsons. was like, oh, crap. I shouldn't have said it was a customer. Oh, crap. I shouldn't have said it was a secret. Oh, crap. I certainly shouldn't have said it was illegal. Ah, it's too hot today. Ah, it's too hot. She got drunk. She took her pants off. She put them on her head. She danced around a bit. I mean, look, we've all been there. We've all been there. Don wishes he could have been there for that part as well, I would imagine. Then comes the actual Jean-Claude Van Damme anecdote. And Dom is just like, well, I haven't made any movies. And Emma, for lesser, is just like, who cares? You're a cool person. (laughs) I love that bit, which is what I used in my opening line. I was like, yeah, I'm cool. This is great. Life's great. It's Christmas. Emma is gigging a lot while Dom does his link to commercials and just says a quiet little, see ya. Just, just, <laughs> she, she's just happy to be anywhere. I mean, I imagine if she'd finished filming Neighbours and now she was over in the UK doing a bunch of, of runs. She, I think she might have been doing some presenting, light entertainment stuff. She was also doing the FHM, the Maxims, this, that, and the other. She was leaning quite heavily into the modelling career and it would get her on a number of sexiest women lists across the next couple of years. But yeah, this was just a fun day out and she was having a good time with it, as was Dom. She is definitely in that class of, like, I feel like we've had them on every single series of Games Master, bar perhaps the first one, because I don't think Ashley Pask was in this position here, of Star of Neighbours, who's finished up their role in Neighbours and has come to the UK to look for their next acting gig off the success of Neighbours is popular here in the UK. We've had them with Home and Away as well. I also liked in this little bit when when Dom took his dig at Street Fighter. He was like, you were in Street Fighter. Quality movie. Audience laughter. (laughs) Piping canned laughter at the idea that Street Fighter is a good movie. I can't say I disagree with him, Luke. I'm just saying, I'm just putting it out there. I've just actually got a quote which directly relates to Emma in the book. It's from Dom talking about how making Series 7 was liberating. We give absolutely no fucks about complaints. So we basically have celebrity women wearing as little as possible playing arcade games that require them to jiggle around constantly which they do with gay abandon in the case of Emma Noble and the utterly out of control 
Emma Harrison. I still see her playing that Rapid River game every time I close my eyes to this very day. All the celebs are playing these huge, silly arcade games. It's basically, it's a knockout with breasts. (laughs) It has aged poorly. It has aged poorly. As television entertainment. But it still feels that everyone is having a good time in the moment. Yeah. When we come back from the ad break, I think we can talk a little bit more about that idea. Um, at this point, before this conversation gets any further, we're going to carry on, but you're not allowed to see what's going to happen in the next couple of minutes. You have to take a commercial break. <laughs> yeah. From Tilda and Madda Jaffrey, a range of sauces so you can prepare superb Indian meals in minutes. Mm, excellent. Got a new chef. Tilda and Madda Jaffrey. Is the world ready for this much energy? New Energizer batteries now last up to 50% longer than before. If your perfect kitchen is one that's designed to look stunningly beautiful. And built to take everything life can throw at it then we're about to make you very happy indeed. Because the Magnet Half Price Sale starts on Boxing Day. And that's worth celebrating. Magnet. Designed for living, built for life. Mmm. Ambrosia custard. Christmas just wouldn't be Christmas without it. Ambrosia. Devon knows how they make it so creamy. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. If your perfect kitchen is one that's designed to look stunningly beautiful. And built to take everything life can throw at it. Then we're about to make you very happy indeed. Because the Magnet Half Price Sale starts on Boxing Day. And that's worth celebrating. Magnet. Designed for living, built for life. What are these? Um, they're from Happy Video Rentals. Happy? They'll be ecstatic with the money you waste on overdue fines. These should have been back ages ago. Take them back and do the shopping while you're at it. 
Softener, washing powder. Oh, don't need softener. Money waster. Lovely and fresh. This bold is marvellous. Spend a fortune, did you? No separate softener, so it was over a quid less. Great. I guess I won't be taking the bold back, will I? <laughs> I've fought fires on every continent. And even some at sea as well. Some of them, they were like hell on earth. I thought nothing could beat the rush until I experienced this. That's when I knew I had to call it a day. HP Sauce, have you got the bottle for it? For more than a decade, Torval and Dean have enchanted a world audience with some of the most incredible ice shows. And in 1994 and 95, more than one million people in the UK went to see Face the Music. Now, they're back with their dazzling all-new show. Even bigger, even better, more magical than ever before. Torval and Dean's Ice Adventures at Wembley Arena from December 30th. What a sweet well, I think I'm going to let you do Christmas every year. Mm. You made it look so easy. Mm. Summerfield. You did a great lunch. At Summerfield, top side of beef is cut to an incredible 169 a pound. You remembered all those important little things. And Clementines are less than half price. Some really great presents. Do you know what you deserve? A great big sloppy Christmas snog. <laughs> Yabba Dabba Do Gale time here today because Emma Harrison has kindly joined us. She's jumped inside a large inflatable object. Derek Lynch is going to help me describe what she does with that object. Now, Derek, in her hands, Emma has two big, huge, enormous paddles. If you had your hands on those paddles, what would you be doing? Okay, now, keep a firm grip on the paddles and dip the left hand side of the paddle in to go left. Right. And dip the right hand side of the paddle in to go right. And try to avoid the sides and get a nice rhythm up. So we're back from the break. Emma is still giggling a lot. Mm, yeah, and she's holding on to her huge paddles. Dom is in the commentary box with Derek Lynch, and Derek is there to help Dominic describe what Emma is going to do inside her large inflatable object. And that's when Dom says, So she's got two huge, enormous paddles in her hand. Derek, if you had your hands on those paddles, what would you be doing? And Derek loses himself. You can hear the magic roundabout theme playing and he's off in his own little wibbly-wobbly Derek Lynch world and has to drag himself kicking and screaming back to the now to actually give some game advice. Just to tell her how to play the game. The thing I find most adorable about this though, and I feel like I've used that word a lot in, in this episode review, is Derek is giving her very sound advice about how like go left to turn left, you dip right to go right and keep up your speed. And you can hear Emigan yeah, yeah, yeah. And just acknowledging every single bit of advice given. Usually, they're just staring at the screen ready to go and we are just hearing the commentary. No, she is actively listening to Derek's advice and in engaging in such. Yeah, she's treating it like coaching or acting <laughs> exactly. direction. She's just like, okay, cool, right. I know what to do now. I have yeah. my motivation. I hadn't actually played this arcade. I've had all day to play this, but I haven't done it until now. Could you please show me how to play this game, please, Mr. Lynch? Dom recaps the challenge. Basically, bottom of the course in the time allowed. Other than that, she can take any route she likes. She can do anything she likes on this show. 
I think Dom has gone, we can't control her. And she can't control this game because, you know, Derek gave her very sound advice. If you dip it down left, you turn left. If you dip it down right, you turn right. Uh, She is guided throughout this by the walls. It's a very much a pinball kind of game. But to quote Alan, it isn't easy and she's trying her best. You can see she's giving it socks. Like when they cut back to her and there, there is a certain shot that they have that I think perhaps wisely, well, I say wisely, probably wanted to put in the show, but the censors made them cut to different angles. But she is giving it socks in trying to make this game work, but she just cannot get the hang of it. And so she just, boff, hits one side and the side guides her into a direction. And then, boff, she hits a different side and that side guides her into the right direction. She goes through two different tunnels. She makes no active choice in which one of the tunnels she goes through. No, and particularly when she turns to go through Volcano Land, she's like, oh no, I really didn't want to do that. I did not want to go down that way. She takes the harder route. I think if you just stay left and left, you take the easy route. Steering for her is a mercurial thing at this point. It is, and you can hear her like screaming and giggling and laughing. There's a point where she takes this tumble they go like a little like mini waterfall thing. And you hear a literally go like yeah. <laughs> oh, no! as she goes off because she did not know that was coming. No, and also the way that game works, the pneumatics would have suddenly gone boom, exactly. and dropped her down. So she would have actually got a little bit of that kind of motion ride uh, jibe going on. Yeah, you can hear her reacting to every single jolt and uh, jiggle that she gets while playing through this game. And there is a moment, you're right, like it was not intentional, but she does go through to Volcano Land and the grading and the, you know, VHS onto VHS onto VHS onto YouTube means that it's very difficult to see what she is doing in this section of the game. But suffice to say, she finds herself by a whirlpool and she has just not got the strength left to get herself out of that predicament. And she sinks into said whirlpool. And then finds a secret section of the game. (laughs) and then they just put game over they did not know how to quantify that because they're like well that's not the ending we had in mind and we don't know like i genuinely i don't think it was technically game over but also they just didn't know what to do with it I, I don't did the time did the timer run out or did she run out of time to get to that point but it is just game over comes up on screen dom and derek look at each other and be like i don't know what that is and dom says like i think she got there via esp and then they just bust a gut laughing then we get to the post-match and emma's just like it was just too hard and Dom, quick as anything, is like, you should have seen what it was like up in the commentary box. I also love the fact that he said, we didn't know where you were. We've never reached that section before because we've never lost at the game. She doesn't get a joystick. She clearly had a good time. And sadly, Emma has to leave soon. Visas and all that. Exactly. But, but, but Luke, if she marries a British guy, she can stay. And Dom doesn't even need to prompt on this one. Emma's just like, let's get married. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's go get married. Let's get married now. 
And quicker than you can say, isn't this a second or third time round the block for this gag? It appears Dom's getting married again. Now, he mentioned Wigfield in this, but also there was the repeating of the gag with the Murs in series six. And he's not afraid to go down this path more than once. They love the Wigfield gag from series five. You know, you're right. They brought it up in series six. They brought up the fact that he divorced her in series six and then bring it up again here saying like, didn't we do this joke already? But I love that. It's a, the the difference between them doing this gag here with Emma and doing it in series five with Wigfield. Wigfield clearly didn't know it was coming and plays along with it. Emma thinks it's hilarious and is like, let's do it. Let's just get married because she is having a great day out. And what better way to cap off a great day out than just getting married to Dominic Diamond? To be honest, we had the pleasure of meeting Dominic last year. If that's how the day had ended, I can't say it would have been the most surprising thing to have happened. Absolutely not. You know, she got up in the morning, she had a fun car ride, she had a great time hanging out with the cast, had a great time filming, and got a brand new visa. What a brilliant day. Of the celebrity challenges so far in this season, this is the most loaded lads, lads, lads challenge. Yeah. And I went back and forth on it because I genuinely think that at that moment in time, Emma was having a laugh. She knew where the tone of the show was. She knew what was going on. And she was living a bit of a party life herself. It felt kind of like carry on-ish in nature. Like like it was it was it was being played for laughs on on both sides. Mm. As much as I found bits of it funny, I also did find bits of it uncomfortable to watch. There are some moments when I think Dom's laddish attitude gets the better of him. I don't think it was intentional in trying to exploit Emma on this. They clearly did set up a camera, although I think that angle would have been the angle that they chose anyway. It just so happened she was wearing a fairly low-cut top. But there's a line during the whirlpool sequence when Dom's suggestion is to get out of that whirlpool is to jump up and down. And I think those are the moments when almost Dom gets just too into the laddish atmosphere and is having to almost too much of a good time and just says the first thing that comes into his mind that he thinks is funny but those are the moments that have aged poorly in this i think i think a lot of the jokes that he makes about just having wanks to her in um uh magazines or i had a boner behind the commentary desk some of that has aged badly but it's lines like that i think are the ones that make me feel uncomfortable jokes about him having you know inappropriate erections to a degree he's the punchline a little bit there we've kind of talked about it before where quite often a lot of the jokes end up always backfiring on dom deliberately so it's how he wrote them but yeah the jumping up and down it's a shame because as a challenge goes it is very fun and very silly and like emma's emma's career has changed now quite drastically she's uh back in australia i think a lot of the time she's got a husband she's got a daughter uh, she keeps all of that glamour modeling and FHM stuff locked away in a box. And she's like, I probably won't mention it. You know, I'm certainly not going to, you know, it's not the sort of thing you're going to be bringing out around the table at Christmas. But she seems to have settled down. And, you know, I saw an interview with her from like a year or so ago. And she seems quite happy and content with where her life is. She, I think she misses fame a little bit, like kind of she misses that lifestyle a little bit, but probably doesn't miss the effects it has. Yeah. I think you could probably argue, you know, the the conversation we've had with Dominic Diamond on the show, he probably feels the same way. You know, misses yeah. misses it in some degree, but does not want to go back to it. No. And she probably regrets some of her behaviour and actions from that period of time. 
much like we know Dom does. Yeah, exactly. I also think this is the challenge that Violet Berlin would sort of hold up as this is what is wrong with Games Master in 1997 or in, you know, in, in Series 7. Uh, there's a quote from her in the book that's taken from a magazine article that she wrote where she was talking about how like this is not what you should be doing with the platform that you have to show off video games and show off this really cool subculture that we all like kind of love and adore and also it's not the best showcase of female gamers you know violet no. that's thing like violet has always struggled with that throughout her career as being the female gamer bucky o'hare is and games master not really having any women play this game that aren't and again bucky o'hare is fit birds those are only really the females that we get in series seven and these are the sort of things that Violet really objects to. You know, they, they have a quote from her in the book from the magazine article and then an interview with her where she's like, I stand by it. Absolutely 100% stand by it. And she's not wrong. She's completely no. right in everything she says. This segment feels like it would be more at home on Eurotrash. Mm, yes, very much so. Just like, oh, look, bouncy, bouncy arcade games. That would be the kind of thing, like the sex furniture that we covered in the Christmas special, stuff like that. But no, I think Violet is entirely right. Doesn't mean that you couldn't have had this person on here playing a game, but the quote I read from Dom earlier, he knew what he was doing. They oh, all knew yeah. what they were doing. There is a reason why she is playing this game. Yeah. It's not done by accident. Just to cap up on that, and I say that when we're only halfway through this very short season, what we've just had is what I feared there would be more of. And I know we still have some more to come, but genuinely leading up to Series 7 and having not rewatched it in a while, I was thinking, we're going to be getting this every episode. And we haven't. And I'm very glad that we haven't. We haven't really had this since episode one. Yeah. This episode is not going to get as high a score as last week's. And unfortunately, as lovely as Emma is, this challenge is going to be a big part of that because it does kind of like sour things a bit, particularly after how beautiful and sweet the opening challenge was with Alan. It's a challenge that has, it was almost perfect and I, and I hate to use that word here, it was almost perfect for its time, but anything before or after just dates it awfully. Like, if this had aired in 1992, you'd be like, oh God, why is this on TV? If you'd aired this in 2000, you'd probably gone like, bloody hell, why is this on TV? It's just, it's here in December 1997, it works. Any other time, it does not work. Or any other TV show with any other crew, it's awful. Unless it was on Bravo. Unless it was on Bravo or Eurotrash. But yeah, it's this is not one of those segments that I would show people to be like, this is Games Master. In a way, I sort of would, because this is what Games Master does, it has become. But it's if I was trying to get someone to watch Games Master more episodes, I don't think I would show them this challenge. No, definitely not. And what is funny is that when we have this feature here. Hey, kid, what's going on? War! We're going to war! Excellent! Yes, straight after Christmas, it'll be time to dust off your phony ID and head down the cinema for what promises to be the hardest special effects extravaganza in history. Starship Troopers, otherwise known as Humans Fight Bugs in Outer Space. Starship Troopers is directed by Dutch bloke Paul Verhoeven, responsible for Robocop, Total Recall and uh, Showgirls. Clearly he's a man in need of urgent medical attention. It's, it's a movie about paradise lost. The innocence of use is, is replaced by the, 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 the cruelty and the, the edge, hard-edged 
uh, of, of war. Or in this case, the hard edge of war. As the young recruits in question are played by Denise Richards and Dina Mayer. While if you're aboard, you get Casper Van Dien and Patrick Muldoon. This is the moment that I realised, oh, I definitely watched this episode in context. I was watching this episode on December 17th at 6pm because I remember this feature so, so vividly. I do love the, in the intro to this Starship Troopers feature, Dominic just saying it how it, it is for a lot of the audience. Dust off your phony ID and head down to the cinema to see Starship Troopers. I'm lucky I didn't have to. But, you know, I, I, I remember going to see Starship Troopers at the cinema. Such an experience to see this on the big screen because, you know, cinematically, because it's a Paul Verhoeven film, it was like a spiritual successor to Robocop and Total Recall. You can almost see them being part of the same universe or the same escalation of time where you've got robocop and then total recall and then even more in the future you've got starship troopers where they've established that utopia you know it's seeing this feature reminded me of how much i love this movie then and how much i still love it now and i think i had some understanding of it then and i have way more of it now and it's still a movie that I think is very misunderstood. Well, I mean, we can talk about that in a little bit, actually, because Dom clearly misunderstands it a little bit, you know, certainly when talking about it and hyping it up. But, like, I love you talked about their Robocop Total Recall, Starship Troopers, and the sort of the interlinking thing there's news. You know, news plays a big part of Robocop and the presentation of news about what happens within the in Detroit. And then Total Recall has the same thing. And then, would you like to know more? There's because they're so interlinked and everything. There were times when I thought, "Would you like to know more?" was actually from Total Recall, but it's not. Mm. It's a Starship Troopers thing, but it's because that's almost like a Verhoeven trope. It's I don't recall it being in Showgirls, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was. Are you going to go and watch Showgirls just to make sure? I better just make sure. Different places. I love Showgirls. It's massively underrated, <laughs> apart, apart from its ending, which is wild and and hugely misjudged. But start, I, as I say, like I remember watching this feature and being blown away, eyes wide and wider and wider, because the big bulk of this feature is no commentary from Dom, no like behind-the-scenes footage. It's just a minute and a half, maybe even almost two minutes, just footage from the movie. And it is all action scenes. So it's all of the bug coming over the hill. It's that huge bug coming out of the ground. It's spaceships blowing up. And it is all action, rapidly edited, cut together, like no end. It is awesome. And it made me want to go and watch the movie really badly. It made me want to go watch the movie badly then. And again, when I was watching it for this podcast record, I was like, I want to go watch Starship Troopers right now. Yeah, it, it's a movie that I, again, as I said, I appreciate more now. And the footage we see, one, it is heavily redacted because you could not show that violence at 6.30. Never mind, you know, getting away with Mortal Kombat's 1, 2, 3 and 4. This is like, I mean, this is a gruesome movie at times. Of course it is. It's a Paul Verhoeven movie. Have you seen his previous work? But it also shows how from a marketing point of view, I'm not saying the studio didn't get it. But I'm saying the studio knew what they needed to do to sell it. And what they needed to do to sell it was to make it look like a very stupid action movie. What's that, you say? It's got an anti-war stance and it's actually very critical of the military right-wing authoritarian regimes. 
now let's just show bugs and spaceships blowing up because that's kind of what they do yeah and there's like three strands to this there's paul verhoven they have like a you know a site it's an interview where he tells you this is the meaning of the movie and you know that loss of innocence and things like that but then there's the interviews with Casper Van Dien, who is like, no, it's this love triangle story. And then the rest of it, which is just like, no, it's this big monster action movie. And it's just like all the Paul Verhoeven stuff gets really pushed to that one side. It's like, yeah, we don't need subtext. I've, I've known writers who use subtext and they're all cowards. No, no, let's just focus on the action and the bugs here because that's the cool big special effects stuff. I mean, to me, looking at it now, it's really obvious how much of a guess I kind of a parody it actually is because pretty much all of the characters are dumb as a box of rocks and they're hamming it up no end like i remember people telling me that oh this movie's littered with bad performances i'm like no 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 those are bad on purpose it's designed to feel bad michael ironside does not do bad performances michael ironside chews the scenery in this film because that's exactly what was needed of him that's exactly what the director wanted him to do and that's exactly what he saw was the right way forward i mean i dominic sees one thing in this and he sees what a lot of people saw which is a big dumb movie and it's the same thing that happened with robocop Mm -hmm. like a lot of people just saw robocop as a like big 80s action movie they missed a lot of the subtext in there about corporate greed about corruption about this that and the other it's the people on twitter that would say next thing you're gonna tell me is that robocop was political (laughs) don't 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 it'll be worse than modok and and you've got verhoeven there quite openly saying it's a movie about paradise lost childhood innocence replaced by the cruel hard edge of war and dominic leaping right in there with or in this case, the hard edge of four. Exactly, yeah. It's a proper, never mind that sh- here comes fit birds. Although, I will give Dom credit, because he does go Denise Richards, Dina Mayer, or, if you prefer the alternative, Casper Van Dien, Patrick Muldoon, and of course, Luke, Michael Ironside. Michael Ironside. And- yeah, I was going to say, Michael Ironside's the real hottie of this movie. I cannot remember watching a movie with Michael Ironside in it that I did not enjoy. <laughs> he's so great. He's awesome in this as well. Like he's he's great in Total Recall, uh, but I love him in Starship Troopers. Like of the Paul Verhoeven work, like I just think he's so great. He's not he's not my perfect villain because Clarence Boddicker is mm. my is my favorite movie villain of all time. Yeah, uh, but I think Michael Ironside is like a is is a good second place behind Clarence Boddicker. Do you know there's an important tell with Michael Ironside, and he's openly said this. He will make a lot of movies. He will make movies regardless of whether the script is good or bad. He's an actor. He needs to get paid to act. He will only go out and promote movies that he believes in. So if you see him on the press junket for a movie, it means whether that movie is good or bad, there's something in it that made him believe in that film or like that film. And that really came into play with Turbo Kid. Turbo Kid, that's what I was going to reference, yeah. I love Turbo Kid. I backed the game on Kickstarter. I cannot wait for this retro Metroidvania running gunning platform shooter game coming out. But Michael Ironside went out and did the press junkets for Turbo Kid because he went into this movie and I think he just, he dug the vibe. He dug the passion. He dug what they were doing on a very, very small budget. And he believed in it. Yeah, he's cast in that movie because 
he is an 80s movie villain and Turbo Kid is a movie that's made to look like it was made in the 1980s, the 1980s vision of what the future would look like. And so he's cast for that reason, but he gets onto that set and he's like, oh no, I get this. And I love it because Turbo Kid rules. What a great movie. It's one of my favorite Fright Fest screenings I've ever been to. Like, I'd, I'd seen the press screening for it already, but then I was there on the premiere night for it as well. And it was there. We were in the same theater. <laughs> in the same room again. And it was so much fun. We get to talk a little bit more about Starship Troopers because, uh, as we said earlier, we get to have a break, basically, for Games Master because they have a two-week gap in the schedule, which means our next episode doesn't act here until, like, early January. So after next week's episode, Starship Troopers is our box office number one. You know, Dom ends this whole thing off by saying it opens January 2nd. Boom, it is there box office number one just a handful of days later and i am looking forward to to talking with you about that i've done my notes for that now because there is so much to talk about how this movie got made where it came from the source material it's going to be a chunky old discussion section because it's not only worth talking about the movie but it's also worth talking about the sequels and how the sequels also completely missed the point those sequels never been so i actually know i was about to say i've never been so upset i have i've seen battle royale too but man when i watched the starship trooper sequel so upset by it i would still say that i would rather watch battle royale 2 than the starships trooper sequels because at least battle royale 2 didn't look cheap that well that's true that because like starship troopers 2 in particular is all set in that one cave because it's the one location they have yeah so i'll give you that but me did i hate battle royale 2 that movie really bummed me out but uh, yeah i am looking forward to talking more about starship troopers with you and paul verhoeven in general i I like i don't think he's as clever as he thinks he is but i don't (laughs) think he gets enough credit for how clever he actually is yeah i'm also going to try and re-watch the movie uh between now and the next time that we and when we do record episode six i think we should have time we've got a couple of weeks well that's it for the games master christmas special oh we're all uh, roasting our chestnuts on an open fire wait to say that if you for some i think dom's got a very nice christmas message for us here i hope your presents are not cack your parents don't have an argument your nan doesn't fart these are all the things that you want from a heartwarming christmas outing honestly this outro i mean i i was just like oh my god what sound effect records is dominic going to be playing to the girl fridays this time i actually think this is a beautiful way to close out a show is to have dominic the girl fridays kirk Derek, emma alan all sat around a fire on the beach alan is sat on the lap and everything it is a really really sweet touching moment and then they all just have a bit of a dance emma's still laughing i don't think she stopped she is cackling throughout dominic's outro and kirk gets up and gets to play the big brother he puts alan on his shoulders and is dancing around it is a heartwarming moment it feels like a family photo yeah this is like this was christmas 1997 yeah and it, it, oh man, I wish that Celebrity Challenge hadn't been the way it was because otherwise this episode would just be lovely. It wouldn't be a 97%, but it would be lovely. So where do we think we're ranking this amongst the, the Christmas specials? Because we've had six of them now. Obviously, Series 1 didn't get one, but everyone, every other series has had one. Series 2, you had the Santa game, uh, certainly in the Christmas episode. Series 3 is the pantomime 
team challenge one series four is the cele- celebrity special with all the celebrity impersonators series five is the clip show series six is the quiz and then we've got this one here i think it is quite remarkable considering how much it gets dogged upon but the series three one is the best of the lot in my estimation i think it's the best christmas special this show's ever done i would i would agree i think i would say that series four is probably the worst one because i think by their own admission they would say that's quite bad i would actually say from a entertainment of watching point of view I think the Series 6 one is worse than Series 4. Oh, uh, yes, I suppose in that sense, yeah. Yeah, because it's it's got all the, the awfulness around it. So yeah, Series 6 would definitely probably be the worst. And then I'd say probably Series 4. Series 2 I'd probably put somewhere in the middle because it's just mostly forgettable. And I don't know where like Series 5 comes into this because Series 5 is just a clip show. So it's kind of like, it's fun as a nostalgia trip. So actually, I think even as a nostalgia trip, I'd, put it, I'd rank it uh, slightly higher. It's just where are we putting the Series 7 Christmas special because this is the first like proper Christmas special they've done since um, series four. I don't know. I'd rank it maybe third or four. I think so as well. Like it's not as good as series three. I didn't enjoy it as much as series five because that's a fun nostalgia clip show. I'll need to double check my my notes for series two. But it's kind of like it's basically going to either be better than series two or worse than the series two one. That's so yes, yeah, so a third or fourth. I think it all depends on what what series two's one was yeah but i do appreciate the christmas trappings they've managed to do despite being on a desert island and again the calypso band who are playing christmas carols as they as they kick out beautiful lovely moment lovely lovely touching moment and that is going to wrap it up for this episode let's talk about it sort of more generally now not just as the christmas special ash what did you make of the show i thought the first challenge with little alan was lovely it was a really nice fun challenge the conceit around the Christmas gift, Alan no-selling, the threat of Dominic keeping his present, it was all great. The reviews, the recommendations for Christmas, it was fine. It was good. Mm. You know, there were some great games mentioned there. You could pick any one of those games and not be wrong. You'd have a you'd have a great Christmas gift there. The celebrity challenge as a challenge was fine. Emma was great. Like she was so much fun and so bubbly. But you absolutely hit the cock on the head there just by saying that Dom just got carried away in his own laddishness. He almost had too much fun. Yeah, and I don't know that it... I mean, it certainly didn't go too far for Channel 4 because the thing went out. It didn't go too far for the editors. It didn't appear to go too far for Emma. And it may not have gone too far for 1997, Ash. But 2023, Ash? Yeah, I've changed. Dom's changed. Emma's changed. The world has changed. If you liked it then, that's fine. But you wouldn't do it now. Yeah, absolutely. That, that is, that's the way to put it. And it's, it is kind of the, the black eye of the episode in a way, because you're right. I think that Crash Bandicoot 2 challenge is so wholesome. Like Dom gives a little kid a Christmas present. It's really genuinely wholesome entertainment. And I really liked uh, Richard and Rob's countdown of like, here are the games you should be asking for for Christmas. I think that's, that's really cool. Two PC, two PlayStation, one N64 game. And as much as I love the movie, the Starship Troopers features a weird way to end the episode. It feels just like it's just there. It was like, oh, we've actually run a bit short on time. Let's put this feature in here because Dom really likes this movie and it is going to be a pretty big movie when we get into next year. And we've got this electronic press kit that actually does most of the work for us. That's it. And gives us some fun footage of Paul Verhoeven running around pretending to be a giant insect, which is worth watching that feature for 
just on its own of Paul Verhoeven running around pretending to be a monster. That's it. But by that same token, it does just also feel like filler. So it almost feels like the first half of it is a Christmas special and the second half is a regular episode of Games Master. Yeah. And I've kind of, I've, I've just gone back to check... Um, the Series 2 Christmas special did start off with Santa's Christmas caper and it's got the Bob Holness celebrity challenge but the feature is around the Game Genie and the final challenge is part of the Street Fighter 2 tournament. So much like this one, that first half feels like a Christmas special the second half feels like a regular episode of Games Master. I think if this episode had just done the now kind of standard ending of, oh, Dom and the Gulf Fridays are going into the hut and there's going to be some comedy sound effects, I'd be pretty down on this episode. But they do get a bit of a reprieve there with that, frankly, lovely yeah. ending. Yeah, I agree with that. So where are we thinking score-wise? We're definitely down into the 80s, and it is just in a modern day looking at that celebrity challenge and some of the comments in it. Challenge is fine. She seems to have a good time. I might be at 85. Yeah, I mean, I was like, I was 83. 83 is what I wrote down because it's not it's not a bad episode. You know what I mean? Like, I, th- I think the Crash Bandicoot challenge is it's so wholesome and nice. And you're right, like that final moment is very nice. And I do like the countdown bit. There's just there's, that celebrity challenge does a little bit of sour taste in my mouth for as average as it was. You're right. I think I'm actually being overly kind and I'm now going to go hard the other direction. I'm going to give it 82. Yeah, I, I, I think that's fair. I, I, yeah, I do. I, 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 think, just... I think that's cool. that's the ballpark I was feeling. Yeah, and it's a shame because there are some great moments. We didn't even mention the news section in, you know, in, in our wrap-up, but the news section is also pretty cool. Yeah. It's got some good stuff in it, talking about IMAX, another Sega arcade. That'll go well. And yeah... It's just that challenge in the middle. But that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. You all rule. You can find us on social media, on Twitter, at underconsolepod, on Instagram at under.console. And you can send us an email to feedback at underconsultation.com. And if you want to chat with us in real time, chat with other listeners, other fans of Games Master, gaming, modern and new pop culture from all over time and space, you can do so over on our Discord details of which can be found in the show notes and on social media and you can support this podcast monetarily over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod where you'll get access to ucp extra and our monthly community show under console nation at the five pound level you'll get next week's episode one week early and ad free and at the 10 pound level you'll get a little bit extra ash what might that be at the 10 pound level they will get the glittery golden joystick waggler mug stuffed with sweeties badges stickers retro trading cards all sorts of good stuff would you like to know more very nice and a shout out to those 10 pound backers zach zanderthal william tom the amazing cliff super sexy david fisher simon selena sean sarah aka pink lithium richard retro fun for everyone reese phil stopford nick misha matty boo mark link liam lawrence kylie kevin joe trig joe mitchell joe mcgonagall jamie ian williams ian roberts i am cheadle harriet manga girl gordon debster gordon brands gordon aiken David White, David Palmer, Colin, Chrissy Two Sticks, Chris Price, Arcadia Wild Bill, Andy, Andrew Greenwood, Andrew Cummings, Alexis, Anna Warrington, and Adam D. Thank you all so much for listening. We will see you in seven days' time for an extra special little Christmas treat. Take care, everyone. Beavers.
It's been a pleasure. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.